0: when we change our framework to that of abundance from scarcity it totally changes what we what going back to your manifestation what we manifest in our lives when we realize okay this is my movie And I'm responsible for every aspect, 100% responsible.
1: You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer turned high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, in today's episode, we're talking about unlocking doors within yourself, doors to healing from things like anxiety, depression, or even past trauma, and also doors to manifesting abundance, not just in the material form, but the kind that radiates from within doors to really understanding the very fabric of consciousness and discovering the truth within all of us. My guest is Matt Zeman, who has a Master of Science in Psychology and Neuroscience of Mental Health with Honours from King's College in London. And Matt has studied the effects of psychedelics on the mind and the potential for these experiences to serve as a catalyst for positive transformations. He's also the author of the Amazon bestseller, Psychedelics for Everyone. And in this podcast, he makes the distinction, as he does in his book, that while he believes psychedelics are for everyone, not everyone should take psychedelics. And you'll hear us talk about the importance of source, mindset, and setting, and also integration. And if you're considering psychedelics, I would really encourage you to take note of each of these things and to check with a trained practitioner in relation to any medication you may be taking or any previous mental health issues that you have had. In fact, when I spoke to Matt, myself offline, about my own experience of major depressive disorder and bipolar medication, he expressed the fact that he would exercise caution in an individual like myself using, psychedelics because of the inner work that I've done to reach the position I'm now in to get to that point of stability and for want of a better word the scaffolding that allows me to stay medication free and I wanted to share this with you because I think for anyone like me who's had a diagnosis of major depressive disorder or another mental health diagnosis I found that it really takes ongoing work it's a daily commitment for me which is partly why I'm so interested in this and wanted to share this important information with you so I say approach this conversation with an open mind and grace and honor yourself as you listen but please remember that like all medicines psychedelics should be taken very seriously and work with a trained professional in a safe and legal environment who recognizes the importance of integration going forward following the experience this episode is for informational purposes only and you should always consult with a healthcare professional before making any decisions about using psychedelics or other medicines but without further delay let's now dive into consciousness abundance and the exciting new developments in mental health with Matt senior Hey Matt, it is so wonderful to have you here today. I've been really excited about this upcoming interview. Um, it's a topic that I am not that familiar with and I, I think sometimes I do a podcast and I know I come into it with a beginner's mind and with the expectation of learning a ton and I think this is definitely one of those. So firstly, a very warm welcome to the show.
0: Angela, thank you for having me on. I've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to diving in on, on a variety of things that we have a uh, kind of talked about in advance of this call.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we were having a good chat uh, offline uh, and I think we both figured out we should, we should start hitting record um, because uh, there's some gold there, which I want to come back to in just a moment um, uh, and loop the, the listeners into our conversation. But I think a good place to start, right? I just, I love the, the opening statement that you make in your book. I don't believe everyone should take psychedelics but I do believe that psychedelics are for everyone and you've been on a, a personal journey over the last few years. Um, you've written a fantastic book, you now have a journal to go with it. Um, I, the book I just was sharing on my social media, best selling in like every single kind of category, almost pretty transformational. Um, what was the background to this? What took you on this journey originally?
0: I wish I had a story that talked about how thoughtful and responsible I was for my first experience, but it really wasn't the case. I had some friends invite me to a guided, um, mushroom journey. At that point, I didn't know what psilocybin was or how powerful it could be. I was not a drug user. I wasn't even really a big drinker. And, um, yeah, I I didn't really see the value, but they explained that, uh, it's a great way to learn more about myself, to, um, to dive deep, and that I should probably do this. So I did, and I couldn't believe um, how many things I learned in that very first ceremony. Um, I connected with my mom who died when she was 49 and I was 22. I saw I could pull a kind of a string from her to me to my children and see this connection that was just astoundingly beautiful. Um, I felt incredibly safe and loved and then realize that I don't feel incredibly safe and loved in my everyday life. And that was a huge eye opener for me. Um, And I also realized I was scared of dying and that that wasn't my story. That was her story. Um, So I left that experience and ended up going back to school to get a master's in psychology and neuroscience and then traveling around experiencing um, many different types of psychedelic medicine delivered by all sorts of types of practitioners from doctors to PhDs to indigenous leaders to see how those medicines made me feel and what they opened up in my mind. And I've, I've loved this journey. And now many years later, I'm, I'm working closely with the medical community about how they can incorporate ceremonial practices into their process. And I'm working with the ceremonial community and how they can, incorporate medical best practices um, and all with the idea of how do we reduce risk and how do we help optimize the experience
1: so interesting and you've shared so much in the book like so much detail about it which is 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 really helpful i think as well for people who are new to this area um, your book kind of really breaks down the different ones which is which was very very helpful for me um, you talk there a little bit around not kind of feeling safe, right? Or, or, and and the way society is set up. I mean, I think anxiety, people talk about anxiety post-COVID. I think this has been going on for a very long time. I think that anxiety has been ramping up, should I say, surely, slowly but surely for many people for a very long time. I don't think it's helped by things like news networks and things, you know, as soon as we switch it on, we're conditioned to headlines and things that make us want to watch and interact with us. Um, but I also think that a lot of people don't feel that secure within themselves. What do you think's going on before we kind of dive into how this world can help us?
0: I love that. I think that's the root of all these conversations that, um, we see it, we see depression and anxiety and loneliness on the rise. We see adults and children being prescribed, um, all sorts of, uh, medicine with really no path to ever get off the medicine so whether it's an antidepressant anti-anxiety a mood stabilizer a hypnotic it's yeah there's there's we're going to numb your symptoms and we're never going to talk about the root Mm -hmm. and we can look around and see all sorts of roots we can look at a society that it's you're 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 rewarded for external um things how do you? get more material things, uh, at least in my experience, every time I achieved a material objective, just the goalpost moved. So there was never like, okay, I've made it. It was, nope, now I'm going after this, and now I'm going after that. That um, we ha- We're in a society which is very competitive. We're in a society that um, that is turning the lens more and more outward. So the example, um, I, I, we both have children. I have an 18 and 20-year-old there's a lot of conversation about I need the world to change how it talks to me. Um, I need the world to change how it addresses me. I need the world to warn me about things that are going to happen. And, um, and I talk all the time about, well, the lens is, should be inward. Um, how are you going to hear these things? How can you process these things? How do you move with these things? Um, the analogy is it's, it's like, I, I don't feel well. I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to get a prescription for you as opposed to me. It takes the power away from our kids and from us. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that anxiety comes from feeling powerless, feeling powerless in relation to the climate, feeling powerless in relation to earning and uh, in, in jobs, feeling powerless in relation to um, being enough and being worthy. Does that make sense?
1: It does make sense. And I think you hit on something there that is so, um, and this is really where things, we, we you were talking about um, the three models uh, offline of around um, the medical model, decriminalization and the spiritual model, right? And when we think about the spiritual side of things, I think so much, you know, there's a real movement at the moment in terms of manifestation and how we can bring what we want into our reality. And I was actually talking to one of my, my um, program mem- group members um, today talking to them as a group. And one of the things about manifestation, right, is this idea of worthiness. Like we can attract into our lives and achieve what we feel worthy of. And I think that you really hit on something that is at its core there is many people don't feel that sense of self-worth they don't feel good enough they don't feel that they can have or achieve that right or that they can have abundance in all its forms in terms of health wealth relationships love we we sort of almost coming from this uh, undeservedness or unworthiness what do you think's driving that
0: i, I truly think it's it's the soup we swim in it's the culture we've been raised in it starts with with school and being told that you need to sit down and face forward and you're not supposed to get up and run around and you don't know what's best for you we do as adults it's carries on to we've given the power uh, that the doctors are high priests of our society so Mm -hmm. they know better for us than what we know Um, and if they say we need to have a prescription we're taking it Um, it moves on to uh, being told that, being told that we live in a in a scarcity world, that there's not enough, so that I need to get what's mine, I need to it's gonna I need to work hard, and that suffering is just part of the like really a part of the human um, existence. Um, and I don't, I just don't believe that. In my experience, we live in an abundant world. We have there's plenty for everyone. Um, that there is no. There's just no reason to, um, to behave in a way that that is anything but abundant. Um, and I think when we change our framework to that of abundance from scarcity, we, it totally changes what we, what going back to your manifestation, what we manifest in our lives when we realize, okay, this is my movie and I'm responsible for every aspect, a hundred percent responsible. If I get in a fight with you, Angela, I created that fight. It's not 50, 50. It's I created it. Um, what am I supposed to learn from this? What's powerful about this, though, this this idea of manifestation and 100% accountability is that then you also have the, the ability to, to recognize that there's no bad me for anything that's happened. These were all lessons that I needed to learn. And how am I going to take these lessons and move forward? And if I can switch everything that happens in, to me in my life or that I create in my life into a lesson as part of my learning, healing, and growing, again, I'm taking back my power and I'm using that moving forward, and that's a uh, again. I think that's just. I think it's incredibly empowering for people to, to to take that approach.
1: Very much. I mean, what you're talking about there is 100% ownership, right? Mm-hmm. You gave the example of if we get into a fight, it's not 50 50; it's 100% your ownership. Explain a bit more around that, because obviously there's a there's a there's another alternative to that, right? Where it's be full blame. It's like Angela, you said this to me. It was so out of order. I had no option but to react. Like, it's just crazy what you said. I had to, you know, we're going to get into a fight over this. We're just making this up. We're not in a fight, guys, by the (laughs) way. And we didn't win a fight before. But what I'm saying there is there's another alternative. The other extreme is it's it's 0% my responsibility and it's all the other person. And then there's the 50-50. It's interesting there because you're saying, no, it's not 50-50. It's about me taking responsibility because I'm responsible for, you can't control what I say, but you can control your reaction to what I say. Is that really what you're driving at? Is that people need to take ownership 100%?
0: That's the only thing we have control of is ourselves. And so it's, it can start with being aware of, of the thoughts that are in our minds. It's, it's being aware of how we process different things. It's being aware of who we choose to spend time with and how we choose to spend that time. <clears throat> All of that is in our control. Everything outside of that, <clears throat> what you do, that's not in my control. <clears throat> so so if, I, if I allow myself to be, no one can make me feel any way. They can say things, but it's up to me to determine how I'm going to feel. It's up to me to determine how I'm going to react. And I mm-hmm. think if I can keep that awareness in the front of mind, it just makes a much more pleasant life. Um, yeah, it's so much more more fun every day to be like, ah, yeah. That I think that what she said was very was was harsh and interesting. But <clears throat> and my lesson here is. I don't need that in my life. I'm going to spend more time apart. Or my lesson here is she was really, I can see that I haven't made her feel safe and secure. And that this reaction was really about being scared. And that's mm. my fault. I need to do more. Mm. Um, the reaction was feeling abandoned. The reaction was because I didn't do, or I did do whatever I did. Um, so I, again, it comes back to how do we, Let's actually step even more back. How do we remember that we are loved, that we are not alone, um, that we are, we have intelligence and that we are, we are worthy of, of this existence. And then how do I take that then into every situation? I think psychedelics are a potential tool in the toolbox for that. Um, and going back, I don't think everyone can take a psychedelic, but I think many people can. And whether, it's, whether they're interested in this topic for them um, or for someone they love, or just to be informed on how they vote. I think this is an important topic to to talk about.
1: Mm, Very much so. Let's talk about that then because I think that sense of worthiness and self-love, I think many people would like to experience more of that. Um, Obviously there are different things, right? There's hypnosis, there's meditation, Mm -hmm. there's therapy, there's all different things. How can psychedelics help us to get more in touch with that?
0: Like you said, there, there are lots of different ways you can, you can meditate, you can hypnosis, you can do talk therapy, all these different techniques. And, and if they work for you, that's amazing for others. This psychedelic tech psychedelics, um, can unlock items and and help you remember items. So let's, let's talk even about just for a moment about how psychedelics work. And I'm going to talk at a super high level, very simplicity, simplicity. They, um, the first thing they're going to do is quiet down your default mode network so that's that inner narrator that is constantly telling you you're not enough you need to do more um you're not worthy so it simmers that down and for many of us when that gets quiet it feels like the weight of the world was lifted off of our shoulders and at least for me i didn't remember what that felt like until it was lifted it's like okay wow that really is incredible. I didn't know how much anxiety I was carrying. I didn't know how much I was paying attention to these thoughts in my mind. The next thing it does is the medicine connects different neurons in your brains. It allows these neurons to fire together that haven't fired together since probably since you were little. Because as we get older, we're constantly pruning down our neural connections. Um, This reactivates it. And when that happens, we start thinking in ways that are different than how we think normally. Um, and that can look like different things. It can look like memories. It can look like appearances. It can look like um, connecting the dots uh, of, of things you've been thinking about. But it it opens that up, it then creates a, a, a sense of neuroplasticity, where or a, a state of neuroplasticity where you're going to be in really an active lo- learning mode um, where you can shape your behaviors for a period of time after the psychedelic. And then the final thing that many of these psychedelics do is it allows you to feel whatever it is is, as your sacred, Um, that you are connected to something um, beyond yourself and that you are a part of something beyond yourself. And for many of us who are experiencing loneliness, it's a pretty large reminder that we're not alone. Um, that we all are, we might look like different waves, but we're part of the same ocean. That we are um, potentially connected to a, uh, a, 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 a something beyond this human body. And that can be powerful. And you put all of that together as a catalyst. So let me be clear on this. I don't believe psychedelics are a cure for anything, it's a catalyst for remembering. And with that, with that quick vantage point of, oh, I see, I don't have to feel the way I've been feeling, or I don't have to think the way I've been thinking, I can then move into the integration period after the psychedelic is off about how do I actually manifest these things in my life that were so clear to me during the psychedelic experience, and how do I keep aware of those things? And that's the practice, and I believe that's where the real work is with psychedelics, that we Psychedelics are just a moment in time, and the real work is the integration.
1: Perimenopause can be a time of significant disruption, not just to our hormones, but also to our sleep, anxiety, energy levels, and gut health. Add in a busy work schedule, workouts, and three kids, and I know that I need more nutrient support than I used to. While I do my best to get enough vitamins and minerals through whole food sources every day, there are times I can't quite get enough servings, and that's why I take AG1 every day. It covers my bases with high quality ingredients like pre and probiotics to support gut health, adaptogens to help buffer stress, antioxidants and whole food source nutrients to deliver that welcome boost in energy. One daily scoop of AG1 covers my nutrient gaps and supports my mental and physical health without a lot of hassle. I simply add one scoop to my water in the morning with the confidence to know I'm giving my body what it needs. Taking AG1 helps me to feel more energized, sleep better and gives me glowing skin. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash Angela Foster. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Angela Foster. Would you like to uncover the secrets of your metabolism and hit your weight goals in a really easy, scientifically driven manner? For over a year now, I've been using a smart little device called Lumen. And through a simple breath test, Lumen helps me optimize my fasting period. It tells me the best time to eat carbs, how to fuel my workouts, it tracks how stress and sleep affect my metabolism, and gives me daily personalized meal plans. Lumen is the first device to hack your metabolism and reveal your lifestyle and diet's true impact on your health. And ability to lose weight, and it can help you to enhance fat burn, lose weight, and boost your energy naturally. And Lumen is giving listeners of this podcast $90 off. All you need to do is head over to angelafoster.me forward slash lumen and enter code Angela90 at checkout to save $90 you can finally take charge of your metabolism in 2024 with this exclusive discount. Simply head over to AngelaFoster.me forward slash lumen that's A-N-G-E-L-A-F-O-S-T-E-R dot M-E forward slash L-U-M-E-N and enter code Angela90 at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. Very interesting. I mean, the way you've described that makes me think: <laughs> where do I sign up? Like, it's <laughs> very interesting, very interesting. Because I've I've uh, not experimented very much with this, but with a variety of different things, right? And um, I know, for example, that even when I look at back at my own experience with medication, right, with bipolar medication and I was taking antipsychotics alongside antidepressant medication. What was very interesting that I observed when I sort of was well enough to do what you're talking about, which is the integration work. I think whatever you're taking right, is a tool to enable you to create change. Um, And it was very interesting that when I played tennis, I could see the ball could slow down a little bit more, there was more time. The, the anxiety was falling away a little bit and that sense of urgency that, that we experience in, in life. So I could be more in the flow. I could be more present. And I truly believe that it was that, those years spent doing that and then doing the CBT, the meditation, the visual, everything else I was doing alongside, which I think you describe as the integration work, that has allowed me to be more present to each situation which I love. It's one of the things that I'm most grateful for out of the experience is that I feel when I'm with someone, like when I'm with you now, I'm a hundred percent in this podcast and a hundred percent listening to you and experiencing everything you're talking about. And I didn't have that before, right? The flip side of depression is anxiety and my mind would be kind of scattered and in different places. But as you say, it wasn't, it, it wasn't one thing or the other. It was the integration work alongside what I'd used. Obviously, I hadn't used psychedelics. Um, before we touch on the kind of different processes there, I was sort of making notes. We're, we're, we can return back to the beginning of the podcast uh, when when we started, and you and I were talking offline. We were having a chat about um, to bring the listeners in around how, as children, we create mental models. And I think often we're told by society, oh, you know what, that that kind of those subconscious beliefs you have, they've just been programmed into you. And it was at an age, it was below the age of eight and you didn't know it was happening. And now we need to undo. Actually, what I've experienced with my children is that as they go through adolescence, I see them creating mental models themselves. And so I was describing to you how, you know, my daughter the other day was talking about the fact that when she watches a movie, in a movie, there is often uh, a really good part and the kind of hero's journey. But as part of that journey, there's also a bit where uh, there's, there's some struggle. And she translated that, that in your day, there was always going to be that juxtaposition, right, a good and bad. And And I was explaining to her that doesn't necessarily happen every single day, right? There may not be that juxtaposition in every day. Some days it's just gonna go really well and you can relax into it and you don't have to sort of have anxiety. Now, had we not had that conversation, and I don't know how many other things, right, my teenagers and adolescents are, are doing in their heads, but they are looking at what's going on and they're looking for that sense of safety and security, right, and so they're creating these mental models. How can we sort of, um, now we can use psychedelics to help create a higher level of consciousness later, i mean i see this as a potential issue right that we're kind of tripping up without knowing we're tripping up because as our brains are maturing and our minds are growing we're creating these models if that makes sense quite a long-winded way but unless you unless you speak to an adult and someone sort of calls you out and it goes hey but you know what maybe that isn't the best mental model to adopt in this situation you could just go on under that assumption
0: you covered a lot of ground there that's um super interesting so let's it's interesting to me because we, are, we all do this. Um, we all develop mental models, whether we want to or not, whether our parents mm-hmm. want to protect us from or guide us towards them. We all come out as our own animals. I think it's really hard as a parent, again, i have an 18 to 20-year-old, to not take responsibility for, I call it credit and blame. Do I take credit when <clears throat> my daughter does really well in school or do I take blame when she does something that I wouldn't have chosen? probably not. She's her own animal. Um, I'm doing the best I can to give her um, the things that I can give her, but she's got to make her own choices in this world. And, uh, and then the mental models come back to, okay, so let's, what are our mental models? Well, we can have mental models that the world is, um, is doing things to me. That's a mental model versus the one we were just talking about. I'm doing everything. I'm creating every aspect of this world because it's all part of my learning, healing, and growing so that I can become, so that I am, and I'm manifesting the best me that I, I can be. Um, so there are going to be things in, in in any day that might be uncomfortable, and that's okay. Those are lessons, and there can be things in a day that feel really great, and those are also lessons. Um, again, all mental models. The What do we need to survive. What does it mean to make a living? Well, I mean, I know I've, I, I chased money with really, uh, no, like it just didn't matter. I have a hundred employees. Okay. I need to get more. I get 500 employees. I need to get a building with my name on it. Every single thing that I achieved, the goalpost moved and none of it really was about making a living. We're so far beyond making a living that, um, it's silly, but in our culture, we're rewarded you get, you get, if for if being manic in work, you get to be put on the cover of a magazine. But if you're too sad to get out of bed, you're, oh, poor that person. So we're, we're a very funny culture on how we reward behavior. Um, and again, I, I guess it's in my mind, these are all mental models that we swim in. And how do we become aware of hmm, maybe that I don't need that? Or I don't need to. That this, this is a false choice. The menu is wrong. The menu I was handed was wrong. There's another option here, um, and I think exploring that has been so interesting for me. Um, hmm. That I don't. I, the things that even going back, I'm going to talk about mental models. I talk about. I did not understand the impact of my parents' divorce until really looking at it. And wondering, hmm, I wonder if some of my behavior as a kid was because I was worried that my mom might take her love away from me, because I saw my parents get separated. Hmm, I don't know that, but it's interesting. What I think about um, my dad and his alcoholism, and always trying to keep the peace, and how much of what I did was not because I wanted to do it, it was because it, I felt like it would be the way to keep the the volume down in the house or the volume down in my life. Again, mental models that we carry forward. Um, Both of my, uh, I I wonder about how much I did did as an entrepreneur was to show my parents how smart I was and that I could be um, successful in this world. Well beyond after they died, I was still living those patterns over and over and over. Um, I'm trying, so I'm living my life to please people who aren't even alive. And mm. again, those are mental models. So how do we unmask those models? How do we get down to where do I feel energy in my body? Where do I come alive? How do I do more of that and less of what I think someone else wants to see and hear?
1: Hmm. So when we think, think about that, how do I do more of that? The first step you describe is it kind of, if we're using something like psychedelics, it can allow us to think differently. What I wrote down here is we can begin to think differently. And then when, as we do that, we're connecting different neurons, then we can have a degree of neuroplasticity, which helps us to shape the behaviors that we're going to have afterwards. So we're literally creating a kind of new sense of self, right? Um, And then we can become more connected and we can start to integrate the behaviors we want and manifest, the life that we want effectively. Is that a fair summary of how they can help us? that's a great summary. Yes. Awesome. I'm glad I got it. Um, so with that, then in the book, you talk about different psychedelics, right? And Mm -hmm. they're, they're all different, right? So there's psilocybin, for example. Um, there's ayahuasca, there's quite a few different ones that you speak of LSD. Um, how do we know, um, Obviously, the advice I presume would be to work with someone, a practitioner on this basis who is able to help that um, integration. Which ones would you use? Are there ones that are for certain kind of um, objectives that that you're trying to achieve? Can you explain a bit more about the different ones?
0: Yeah, I'm going to start, though, with how do you keep, what are the three things to really pay attention to for risk reduction? And it's source, set, and setting. So sources, where did your medicine come from? If you're doing um, legal ketamine therapy, it came from a pharmacy. That's easy. If you are working with a ceremonial guide, they probably test their drugs. If you're buying it off the street or you're um, doing it at a festival, mm, you really don't know what you're taking. You know what you've, We know what it's sold as, but you don't know what you're taking. So that's, that's a danger inflection point for these, these medicines. Set is your mindset. Do you know how long this drug is going to last? Are you have you prepared and thought about your intention? Are you in a good place for the deep work you want to do with this medicine? Um, do you feel that you are safe in this place and that you are being watched for in your non ordinary state of consciousness? That's all your mindset, and uh, and then setting is truly the physical environment do you have control over the sound the music are you going to be interrupted by your kids or dogs or neighbors do you know the people around you and that you're safe with those people that's just the physical environment if you take care to on source set and setting the research shows that having a truly bad trip is very 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 unlikely is Mm -hmm. it possible of course it's possible but it's not likely the um trying to where we I, I just lost my train of thought with the original question
1: yeah, I was talking about the different um, mm, different um types that you can use, but it's very helpful, the source set setting, because that would explain, right, when, you know, I remember a friend of mine at uni saying that she took LSD and it was the most awful experience because she was kind of hiding in the corner of the room and there were these giant spiders and all her kind of fears coming. She was just waiting to ride out the time effectively, right, which I think is many people's fear that something like that will occur. Oh, absolutely.
0: And, but then that's part of just having the, the guide or the trained facilitator with you again, whether it's legal or ceremonial or a friend, having someone there who knows to can. So in advance saying to you, look, you might see something that you don't like, or you find uncomfortable. I encourage you instead of running away from that to explore it with curiosity. What are you here to teach me? Spider, dragon, whatever. Um, And because if you run away, it can spiral into a, into a challenging experience. Um, You know, the example I talk about in my book is the, um, I had inappropriate uh, sexual contact with a family member, 10 years older when I was a young teenager. And it was something I was mortified about. Um, Just awful, awful experience. So fast forward. 45 years (laughs) and, or 40 some years. And in one of these psychedelic journeys, I was right back there and it was not my intention to look at this, but I was there and I did explore it with curiosity and I could see that this person, she was rejected from her father. She was not feeling smart or attractive or loved. She was um, struggling with substance use, and I didn't have to condone what she did, to understand the humanity of it. And I didn't have to put the blame on myself. I could recognize I wasn't the adult in the room, and it, it's not. This is just something that happened. Um. So again, once I could understand the humanity, I could forgive that without forgiving the action, if that makes sense. And I was able to move on. And now I can talk about it without my ears burning or getting a pit in my stomach. Um, it's no longer this awful, horrible thing that I have to tuck away in a drawer. It's just another piece of my puzzle to put together. That's part of the power of these medicines, that you can you can turn off shame, blame, and guilt and just look at whatever happened. And And, and so we're seeing things like... MDMA for treatment, resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So these are people who've tried every different existing medication. They've tried lots of therapy, nothing's worked. And in these clinical trials phase three clinical trials, they've given them therapy with three sessions of MDMA and some more therapy, I think 12 sessions in total and 71% emerge without a PTSD diagnosis. Eighty-eight um, percent have a clinically significant improvement in their symptoms. I mean, these are off the charts numbers. Mm. Um, and for those who don't know, MDMA is, is, is MDMA and MDA. They're kind of close cousins. Are heart openers. Those are ones that you feel a lot, a lot of love for yourself. You feel a lot of love for others. And it does. It is one of those medicines that turns off shame, blame, and guilt, so that you can process um, past experiences. Um, without blaming yourself. And I think that's why it's so effective with PTSD, but mm. it's certainly effective with any type of trauma. Yeah, That is very a much. different type of medicine than maybe psilocybin, which allows you again to do very deep work. But that one I'd say is more about the interconnectedness of things that you feel you're not, you're part of nature. You're not separate from nature that you are again, connected into this big world. Um, and then you can kind of, I like psilocybin. is kind of the I call it mo- that molecular cleaning. It strips away all the masks, and you kind of rebuild your your yourself up from molecule to human through lots of stories in between.
1: During the experience itself.
0: During the experience, yeah.
1: Okay, and then you try to integrate as that afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. It's very
1: interesting because um, you know I have a program called Biosyncing, which is syncing with yourself, but syncing with your future self. Uh, your bioindividuality, and it's for women with your female physiology and it's it strikes me how powerful the this is in relation to creating that future self-right and becoming super intentional about who you want to be um wh- one thing that i guess i'd like to ask is often we see and this is this is shown a lot on social media and it's kind of almost like a rite of passage it's become that with some people when they're taking these plant medicines there is a uh, purging that goes on mm. and then they become actually physically quite ill but then at the end of it they feel like they've had this revelationary experience how much is that a past of previous trauma how much is it to do with uh, not being in the right mindset how much is it to do with what you're actually taking or the amount that's being given and is that actually something that not i wouldn't say a necessary part but is it maybe an expected part or an integral part of moving on
0: I think the medicine you're probably referring to is ayahuasca and that particular medicine, um, has a, for many people has a portion of the journey where you purge. Um, and the, the belief around the purging is that you are getting something physical out of your body that needs to go and that there's a message in the purging. Um, that's very different than ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, which are typically not nausea coming, but not always, but not not nausea causing, but not always. Um, If, so let me, let me first finish ayahuasca and I'm going to come back to the others. With ayahuasca, um, I know for me, like I went into my ayahuasca ceremonies really scared of the purging. I don't like throwing up. I don't like, um, I just don't like that idea of, of losing bodily control. And the Taita's wife said, you'll find it's one of the most beautiful parts. And I was like, "Ah, I don't think so. (laughs) I think she was right. Really? I had each night, um, each night I've purged, I could see something that's, that was a message. And as soon as it was over, I was able to go on this really, really incredibly deep journey. So for me, I found it to be, um, yeah, beautiful and part of the experience. And... I do believe it's it's a deep place to drop into the psychedelic um, psychedelic waters. Um, some people are drawn to ayahuasca, and that's beautiful and great. And for many of us, it's, mm, let's start with psilocybin or something that's a little bit less physical.
1: When you say you see something as part of the purging, what do you mean, see something uh, that needs resolving? What does that mean? The- I'll, I'll tell you, what does I'll that mean? the first
0: purge, this is... It's going to, this uh, I, I try to watch my woo woo in these talks, but I'm going I'm to, I, I purged and I could see in the bucket that I was prejudiced against people who spoke in tongues. It's like, where did that come from? Why am I? Sorry. So,
1: so you see in the vomit,
0: I, I could feel like it came out of me and I could see, really in see in that it? bucket. Yes. Oh, okay. I could see Interesting. I have a prejudice against people who speak in tongues. Right. And it made me start to think of, and I could try, I've never thought about, consciously thought about people who speak in tongues before that moment. But then I started
1: How do you mean people, people speak in tongues? Like this is the, like a biblical
0: the, like the biblical people who have uh in, in the who go to the those uh, evangelical churches and then they yeah. have such a religious experience that they start they, they're starting speaking in tongues. It's, okay. it's a thing in the certainly in the south here in the United States. Right. Um and I realized like who am I to judge their religious experience? And how do I know? Their, what's happening with their bodies and what experience they're encountering and why would I make fun of someone who has such a deep religious experience um, and that's not my place and all of that came out in this purging during Iowa. An and you had sermon. you
1: had no idea before were you no. even aware that you would laugh no. at this no
0: not at all interesting at all. <laughs> interesting so there there are those kinds of things I was like where did that come from mm. apparently somewhere And, and apparently it's something I needed to to know moving into this type of awareness. You talked about intention with, with people. How, How do you have intention with your life? And also how do you have attention? How do you have attention to the things you're consuming? How do you have attention to the things you're saying? How do you have attention to the relationships you're forming? And for me, I needed to have attention to my prejudice against certain religions and people who have religious experience, or I couldn't do this work. So, um, that's an example of, of purging with a message. Um, Okay.
1: Really interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. And is it harpy as well that they can do this? Is it what? Harpy? Is it called?
0: um, Harpy or rape. So that's a non-psychedelic. It's typically a tobacco snuff with different types of flowers or herbs, and they blow it up your nose. Mm. Um, It's uncomfortable, I will say. Um, And people have... Uh, like snot or cough or um, sometimes a little bit of nausea, but not, I don't think it's a lot. It's not like, it's not like a uh, ayahuasca, um, but I found like that particular medicine really grounds you into the, the room that you're in and allows you to like the, some of the best meditations I've ever had in my life have been on, on Hoppe. Um Interesting. Yeah, so it's an interesting, but that's not technically a psychedelic. Um. Okay.
1: I took it in combination with oxytocin, I think, okay. when it was sent as a kind of nasal preparation. Uh, It really burns your nose. (laughs) No, I didn't read the instructions. It was sent to me by a podcast guest. (laughs) I did it in my refrigerator and just, uh, as I do, just took it. And uh, it was on one Saturday evening and managed to like think, oh, it's a nasal preparation. So I'll just close one nostril and spray it hard up the other. Nothing prepared me. (laughs) I can see by your face how, how much for people listening, not watching. Yeah, it hurt. Let's just say that. I mean, the recoil was extreme, but it actually made me go to the toilet. Maybe go to the bathroom very quickly but I don't know if that's the oxytocin kind of because it was a zen meditation mist uh and then you know I'm not quite sure what else was in it but um some other bits that made the screen come into quite bright color and things like that but yeah it was interesting but <laughs> it burnt. um yeah it so yeah very much so um so MDMA very much around like a similar to oxytocin then opens up love right and a sense of self-worth
0: and typically, um, no nausea with MDMA or okay. MDA, typically.
1: Okay. So, um, alciabin,
0: some people get nauseous. Very Again, a small percentage, but some do. And, um, and ways they can combat that are to, instead of eating the dried mushroom, to put it in, to ground into a powder and put it into orange juice um, uh, or something, lemon juice in advance let it sit in that glass for 20 minutes, let the enzyme breakdown process start in the glass versus in your stomach, and then just drink it. Okay,
1: and, and that, that really reduces, reduces the nausea. So
0: mm-hmm. other people put into chocolate, and uh, or add some honey, and that also can reduce the nausea.
1: And the psilocybin is the f- kind of fruiting body, right?
0: Yeah, it's the active ingredient. It's the active ingredient. Because in in uh, you
1: can also take truffles, right?
0: You can, it's, you take a much more of the truffle and I'm not, um, I know that's more popular over in like Amsterdam than yeah. uh, than here, but, uh, <laughs> that's where I, don't I came know across quite as much about the, uh, the conversion ratio. I know it's that you take more truffles than you do, um, mushrooms
1: i think the idea being as well with the truffle i think it's stable in terms of its dose and so Mm. it's easier to microdose than it is with psilocybin when you're looking at the fruiting body and you can't tell from one to another exactly how powerful um what about um dmt right this is something that people can take but also lots and lots of studies now, like in conjunction with Wim Hof in terms of breathing and creating that experience. Can we dive a little bit into DMT?
0: Yeah. So DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca we were just talking about. And when okay. you take it as a beverage, like they do in central and South America, you have these long lasting, um, journeys, six, seven, eight hours, depending on, on how much you've taken and, then the ceremony. Um, you can also uh, inhale DMT, and when you take it uh, in, in that methodology, you're talking about a 10 to 20 minute experience. Um, what is being researched is that as a potential therapeutic tool because it is so much shorter, and it can happen in kind of the medical model easier than a six hour MDMA or psilocybin experience can happen, um, and they're looking at it for a variety of different different things. Um, And then there's a, it sounds the same, but it's different. There's 5-MeO DMT, which is also known as Bufo, which is the venom of the Bufo alvarious toad. Mm -hmm. And you can get that either naturally from the actual toad or synthetically, um, where they've made a a synthetic version of it. And again, that's 10 to 20 minutes, but a very different experience. In the first DMT experience, it's it's visual, it's colors, it's messages. And the second one, it's, uh, it's called a non-duality medicine. It's the only medicine that, that it's uh, that we know where there's no subject and object, there's just energy. And you kind of dissolve into that energy and within like 10 seconds of taking it, both of those with, if you inhale it, it's about 10 seconds from inhale to you're in this other planet. And, um, yeah, and I think both are beautiful. I, I I think the perfect combination. If I have, if I can script a, a ceremony anyway, any way I want, I love day one having a heart opener. So that can be MDA or sassafras or MDMA, where people get used to ceremony. They feel love. They feel love for themselves and for others. They're able to process. They get used to their fellow travelers. They get used to their ceremonial leaders. They get used to their musicians. And then on day two, they go deeper using psilocybin and have that interconnectedness of all things and have the ability to strip off masks and really look deep, deep, deep inside of themselves. And then on day three or the night of day two, to have a five MEO DMT experience where they can have their personal conversation with their sacred. I think that combination of three medicines over over a few days is really a powerful um, arc of experience
1: conversation with their sacred you mean here like feeling completely connected that you are one with god with source yeah
0: that's what 5 meo does
1: interesting so it's that a, one doesn't cause any of the sort of purging
0: no the buffo, no. no no there are three kind of ways that we see people experience 5 meo some is what we call sitting buddha they're just in a purely bliss state right. um and that's if you take that arc that i just talked about like 99 mm. percent it's sitting Buddha. it's it's a perfect experience um just absolute bliss others is like primal screamer it causes you to to vocalize um but you're still in a in this um deep 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 experience but your your v- vocals are coming out of your mouth and then the other is you're moving you're having a you're moving around but you're not purging with a 5-MeO DMT interesting mhm it's okay. a powerful medicine. It's uh it's funny. Yeah. Dude, the the joke in the industry is like it's in in I'm not sure industry is the right word. The joke in the uh the space in which this is used is that if you're there are very few atheists who or people who emerge as an atheist after a five MEO experience.
1: Really? How interesting. Yeah, beautiful. So yeah. at that point after that experience, you know, if we look at I'm I'm a big fan of kind of like i'm always reading like spiritual books and some of the teachers actually who don't talk about util- utilizing things like psychedelics even when you look back at things like you know wayne dyer for example neville goddard don't specifically reference that i think dr joe dispenser himself has said yes you could use it to get there but you may be a bit faster but you can use things like meditation it sounds like from what you're saying there if It feels like no one can come out without feeling like they're in touch with God, that this is helping to do what Joe Dispenza talks about in terms of collapsing that time and space where you become nobody, no one, and you realize you are just pure energy, right?
0: I love what you just said. I think that is 100% true. And and just to reiterate this for your audience, yes, you can use this technology to do those things and they're catalysts. You still have to, on the other side of the experience, then bring intention and attention to your life. And, and, and make the, create this practice that allows you to remember, moving forward, what it is you saw. Alternatively, mm-hmm. you can go down a meditation path, and eventually, the, the theory is that you're going to come to the same place, or a prayer path, you're going to come to the same place. Just the question is how long. Um, mm-hmm. and, for, and for me, I didn't even know I wanted to go down this path. Um, so I tried meditating. I was an awful meditator. Um, I didn't believe I gave up all faith in God when my mom died. Um, and my mom died just again for context, two years after my father, which was a year after my grandmother, which was like two years after my great aunt, like everybody, I I lost so many people within the short window and I just gave up on God. I wasn't looking for God in this process. (laughs) And, uh, but I couldn't, I didn't, I emerged with this strong sense of faith and the strong sense of, um, that there is more to life. Then, and that was after just the very first experience. And I think that's also why this medicine is so incredibly powerful for people at end of life. We're seeing work at Johns Hopkins, at Yale, at UCLA, uh, UC uh, San, San Francisco, sorry, UC California, San Francisco, where they're using psychedelics for people who have terminal diagnoses. And it's changing the way they experience this last chapter. It doesn't change the diagnosis. It might prolong their life. There's, there's a beautiful movie called Dosed Trip of a Lifetime with a woman who has a cancer diagnosis, and they gave her six months to live. And fast forward almost five years, and she's still around. But for the most part, it doesn't change the diagnosis. What it does is it changes the way that person experiences this chapter. It, it reduces their depression, anxiety around death. It, it allows conversations to happen that might not have happened had the freedom not been granted. Um, and then we don't talk, they don't talk about this in their research as much as we see in the field, is how powerful these medicines are for people witnessing the person in the active dying state. So, how powerful it is for the family um, to then, for them to have a different perspective on death and life, and for them to get past the hangups of, oh, well, I'm still angry about whatever you have X amount of time to have these conversations. You have X amount of time to have these questions. You have X amount of time to tell this person you love them. And I think it greatly changes the family dynamic for both the person in the active part of transitioning and the, and the people around them.
1: Mm. It's so interesting what you're saying. So interesting. I remember being with my father when he passed away and just realizing in those final moments, like the, the, just how much human touch could make a difference. Like he couldn't speak or anything, but he just seemed to want me to rest my hand mm. on his shoulders. Just just that sense of touch and that, lo- what you're talking about there really is like, when we look at Hawkins' map of consciousness, right, is is elevating yourself to pure love, right? It's, the, it's that love, joy, and kind of peace that's, um, that's that level of bef- pre-enlightenment, right? Whereas it sounds like these psychedelics actually might even move you into a state of enlightenment because you're becoming one with everything. Um, but then as you say, the the integration is what needs to happen afterwards, right? Because you want to in- integrate that now into your everyday life and think about how can I come from a place of love, um, which, which is more accepting, I think, of everyone.
0: Yeah. And how do you, so in the psychedelic, the psychedelic can show you that you are love and you can, for, for at least that period of time, however long your journey is, okay, I am love. I'm not looking for love. I don't need to find love. I'm not missing love. I am love. Mm-hmm. The integration is how do you hold on to that knowledge in this three dimensional world in which we live with all the things that happen mm-hmm. and how do we remember that, hmm, you know what? My hand on my father as he transitioned was what he needed. He didn't need me to do the dishes, he didn't need me to get another degree, he didn't need me to earn a specific thing, he didn't need me to have a specific job. He needed my hand on his shoulder. Mm. And that is again where the menu is different.
1: Mm. Yeah, that feeling of, um, oh, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you there.
0: No, please do.
1: No, I was going to say that feeling of pure love, actually, the time I've experienced it was, um, under deep hypnosis, but I'd been hypnotized for about two hours. Uh, and it was interesting because at that point I had an experience where, um, and I didn't know how to describe it before, but I would say it is as you are describing. It was pure love. It was, I, I wasn't a person. Um, and it was just this feeling of not, of, of just oneness and wholeness, I think. Yeah, wholeness. Um, and, and no kind of separation, and, and beauty, that was the thing. But I don't mean that, and then that sounds narcissistic, I don't mean physical beauty, I mean beauty within, just beauty in terms of whatever, because I don't know how to put my finger on it because it's not physical, right? But this beauty in terms of this consciousness or this energy or whatever it is that we are, it's really interesting. But that was after, that took a, a few hours of hypnosis together.
0: It took a few hours of hypnosis to realize that that's, that is oh, you. Oh,
1: yes, that would be a better way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. And that is you. That mm. is you
0: today, and that was you yesterday, and it's going to be you tomorrow. The question is for all of us is can we get beyond our minds and the stories we tell ourselves to remember who we are? Because mm. we have it. And I think for many people, psychedelics can show them where they know it it's not theoretical i didn't read this in a book i didn't it's it's i know i am this mm. okay and then the practices how do i remember that i am this every day and how do I and bring how you, as you, you said intention and attention to my life
1: and how do you do that so what like, having gone you know through this journey and you've, you've tried so many different ones how are you now integrating that on a daily basis i guess there's two things how often do you involve plant medicines in your life and how do you live day to day? Are there practices that, you know, people listening can do things like gratitude practice? I, I don't know anything you're going to tell us that can help in this way.
0: It's all the, but we know what they are. We all okay. know what they, they are. are those we just don't want to do it. It's the same, <laughs> it's the same tools. We know if we yeah. meditate and spend time being aware of our mind and that we are not the messages in our mind, we are the listener of the messages in our mind. If we come to that knowledge that helps. We know if we spend time in a gratitude practice, whether that's prayer or whether that's positive psychology, we start to rewire our brains towards the positive and we start to see more of the positive in the world and less of the negative. We know that. We know if we exercise and we keep our our body moving, that that's good. If we get lots of rest, that's good. We know if we get in the sun, that's positive. We know what the things are.
1: We just Um, don't always do them.
0: We don't do them. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, at some level, we don't believe them, or we listen, we we, and and we get scared, and then it's again that comes back to the whole abundance and scarcity. What are we really scared of? And we can say, well, I'm scared right now, of this moment of of this person not liking me. Yeah, maybe, but it probably is deeper than that. Are you scared of all people not liking you? Are you scared of your parents not liking you? We're scared. Where, like, how far back do we need to rewind the the, the mental models to um to get to that? What? so things that I do are things, those things. And for me, I find music to be incredibly, um, powerful. Um, I find this practice of this conversation. Let's just talk more and have real connections about, yeah, I'm thinking about this or right now I'm not feeling that, um, versus talking about, sports or weather or any of that kind of stuff? How do we have more of these conversations in our lives? Um, So for me, this is the practice. This isn't a podcast. This is the practice. Mm. Um, And how do we just, how do I do more of this every day, every conversation you talked about your, your presence and that right now you you're a hundred percent here and having that. That's a, that's a lot of intention and attention to bring to this conversation. And I appreciate that. And I can feel that. I think a lot for me, Pre this process, I didn't bring intention and attention to so many conversations. I didn't bring it to my kids. I was very Mm. much a a workaholic father who felt the best thing I could do is provide. And really, and when I talk to my kids now, it's like, no, they didn't want me to provide. They want me to be here. And I missed uh, a number of years in this journey. But that was part of my process. And it is what it is. And now we're here and
1: that's okay yeah and now you have the relationship you have which Mm -hmm. yeah um what about breath work just before we kind of close off do you practice that like obviously do do you do like Wim Hof style breathing or other forms of breathing what do you practice
0: yeah I don't do Wim Hof but there's there's a number of different breathing techniques that I think are like you can do simple ones like box breathing, I think, is super helpful mm, I like to calm box down. Breathing. I like box breathing. I think just being aware of the breath, and and even for 10 seconds, like, okay, I'm finding myself getting, I'm finding energy in my body being raised to a point, I, I, I recognize this is not healthy. Let me just focus on the breath and bring it down, and just remind myself that this is just what's happening here. Um, I love holotropic breath work, which is a way for people who... Don't want to use um, psychedelic medicine, but they still want to achieve a non ordinary state of consciousness. I was hugely skeptical that this could work, and um, and I was wrong. Holotropic breath work can absolutely drop you into a non ordinary state of consciousness, where you can do uh, yeah, you can do work in that state um, without taking any medicine. Um, so yeah, I, I think the breath, rem- I, I, knowing that all the air that's ever been is on the planet now. So we are breathing the air of every person who's ever lived and every person who will live. And we're part of that is really cool. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, just watching, watching the energy in the body and reminding myself, you know, I don't know if this is a guy thing, but I certainly have been, I was told like boys don't cry. Emotions are, um, they're not helpful. And now I believe that emotions are thoughts that don't yet have words with them. So when I feel emotional about something, I'm trying to pause, like what's coming up? What is this? What am I really feeling? What does it mean to feel scared or hurt or, or happy? What does that really mean here in this context? So I love spending time with my emotions in a way that before it's like, how fast can I move through the emotions and get back to doing? Because I'm a great doer. Um, I can hide behind spreadsheets and computers (laughs) all day, every day, but, um, I'm loving spending more time with emotion.
1: Amazing. Where can people find out more about you? I think you have a journal for people who want to explore psychedelics and, and make those kind of, I guess, transformation of self, right. And become more in touch. Um, where can people find out more about your work and also tell us, tell us what you're doing. You're obviously like working with the medical community. What can we expect next?
0: Okay, so the first thing in terms of finding, there's a book called Psychedelics for Everyone, which is was my attempt to put some personal stories and get different experts to talk about psychedelics as a whole and then different medicines. I had every chapter medically reviewed by a, another party to make sure that it was accurate, and everything was written for people without a scientific background. So if people are just starting and want an overview of psychedelics, that's a good place to start. My second book is called Beyond the Trip, and this is for people who are already planning to do a, a psychedelic journey, again whether it's legal ketamine or a ceremony. And this is a, a way to prepare by setting intentions and gathering resources to have a place to put your thoughts right after your psychedelic experience. And then it has four weeks of homework with prompts every week and a 30-day gratitude journal that people can play along with. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. Both of those are anywhere books are sold. There's an audible version of the uh, psychedelics for everyone as well. And then I do spend a bunch of time consulting with um, medical providers about how they can incorporate uh, spiritual practices into their their process. Um, And then conversely, I work with spiritual community people in psychedelic um, communities about how they can incorporate medical best practices, and that can look like what's a th- what does a thorough medical intake look like, and who needs to review it what's what does an informed consent to look like um, why would you want a statement of sincere religious belief those types of things for the spiritual community that I think are uh, yeah there's a lot that both communities can teach each other, which is, which is a super exciting part of this uh i think the future of psychedelics
1: awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we've, you've shared a ton. I don't think we quite got to ketamine, but you cover it in the book. And the, the book is super, super easy to read, I must say. Thank you. You know what we
0: didn't cover? I just want to just put a quick shout out. We don't have to cover in depth. But yeah. We, before we went on, we were talking about kind of all the things psychedelics are being looked at. And, and at a high level, it's anything that has repetitive thinking patterns in it. So depression, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, substance use, there is research being done on all of these things with psychedelics. But also as, as people who are listening might have more specialized things. And and we brought up autism earlier. There's a group out there uh, with Aaron Orsini running it, which is looking at the intersection of autism and psychedelics and university of Toronto is now doing research with that. So whatever it is that you're thinking about, um, opioid disorders, Ibogaine is, is showing to be incredibly powerful for people suffering from opioid uh, disorders. So I encourage you to, to Google whatever it is as the niche challenge and psychedelics and see if there's anyone doing research um, out there on that. I think you would be might be surprised on how niche this current renaissance of academia is in the world of psychedelics. Uh, you brought up bipolar as, an, as another example. A lot of the mm-hmm. research historically anyone who who was either bipolar themselves or one family member away from someone who's bipolar was immediately excluded from research trials yet we hear dr james fadiman and other people saying okay well wait a minute maybe there are there's a lots of citizen scientists out there who are bipolar and are using psychedelics but not when they're in a manic state okay and that's so there's again the research is is coming quickly um, and there's lots of, uh, citizen scientist stuff out there for you to read. And I put a ton of it into that book for people as well.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I think this will be very popular. We had Dr. Danny Gordon on who's, uh, uh, specializes in ketamine and, and cannab- medicinal cannabis. And it was really popular. And, uh, yeah, you've shared so much. I definitely feel like, uh, it's the wrong word to say you've taken me on a journey, but you've definitely expanded my my knowledge today and just, yeah, have a real openness to this and, and developing a greater sense of consciousness. So I want to thank you for being so open and sharing so much. Um, And yeah, th- where, where can, lastly, where can people connect with you if they want to connect with you?
0: Thank you for doing that. It's mattzeman.com is my website. I have lots of videos and things there. And if people want to schedule discovery calls, I, I love doing those with people about... Um, yeah, just trying to help, help them reduce their risk. And then I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn.
1: Amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thanks so much, Matt.
0: Angela, thank you. I appreciate this conversation very much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode in the show notes. You will find more information on how to connect with Matt and also his amazing book on psychedelics. You'll also find a link to an earlier episode that I think you'll really enjoy with Dr. Danny Gordon on integrative medicine and the use of ketamine and medicinal cannabis in mental health. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey to vibrant health and high performance. Make sure you check out the show notes for a summary of all the important links to everything we talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the follow button and share it with a friend on social media or leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Remember, achieving high performance health is about getting 1% better each day. So think about one thing you learned from today's episode and start implementing it today. Share with me what you've learned on social media over at Angela S. Foster. I love hearing from you and connecting with you. Have a beautiful day and always remember you are worthy of your dreams.